I'm really excited about today's topic because I'm assuming that you don't have a lot of familiarity with it. So I feel like there's, this is going to be fun. Okay. It's kind of like a weird world. But basically, my twin sister and I were out at a bar recently and somehow the topic of like weight based sports came up so not just sports where you might be cognizant of like how your weight affects your performance or how your size and shape and musculature like determines your I don't know ranking but Mm -hmm. sports where you literally can't compete unless you are a very specific number on a scale Mm -hmm. and then once I started tugging at that thread I just couldn't stop basically (laughs) went down a rabbit Um, hole a complete rabbit hole and so we're gonna talk about rowing specifically lightweight rowing how familiar are you with rowing or crew as a sport zero percent yes okay great i'm just <laughs> picturing the uh the the scene in the social network with the winkle bosses or whatever their names oh were. oh they're they're making an appearance today don't you worry oh my gosh yay and they like barely lose and they're so upset mm-hmm yeah, I was watching in part of my research for this, I was watching a video of them rowing and I was like, honestly, in terms of strictly appearance and aesthetic, the social network did a good job like matching the twins. I was yeah. like, oh fuck, like they look just like what I thought they would based on that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so I actually, I don't know if you know this, but I actually rowed in high school. Have I, I ever told you that? I did not know that, but that's so Massachusetts yeah. of you. I know, some <laughs> prep school like Massachusetts, but... And I really, I actually, I liked it and I was decent at it, but we were not split into weight-based teams. There was just one team and we had our first, second, third, and fourth boats. And like, that was it. Mm-hmm. There, There's no differentiation based on weight. And I'm not sure how many high schools do, but there are youth lightweight programs, um, or there were at the time, but our high school just didn't do that. Mm. But I feel uniquely qualified to give you a little intro into what rowing is because I've yes. done it. <laughs> so there's like a bunch of different kinds of rowing and the one we're going to talk about today is obviously specifically lightweight and it's specifically where teams race in what they call eights which basically just means there are boats with eight rowers and a coxswain or a, a what? Quote. <laughs> <laughs> Wait it's also spelled so weird it's called a coxswain or a cox for short but it's spelled C-O-X-S-W-A-I-N, like Coxswain. <laughs> what? I know. And the culture is so funny because people, if you're like a novice and you're like, oh, like who's the Coxswain here? People are like, oh my God, amateur, like loser. <laughs> it's a Cox. It's a Coxswain. Oh my God. What, what, what is a, a Coxswain? Okay, so the Cox <laughs> is the person who directs the team while the rowers are the ones moving the boat through the water. So they're sitting there. At the front of the boat? Um, They can be sitting in fours. Often they're at the front facing forward, but in eights they're at the back facing forward. Mm. And they'll be saying things like, all right, in two strokes we're going to do a power 10 because we're starting to fall a few boat lengths behind. So then they'll call that out like, use your legs, 10. Like, <laughs> sit up straighter, 9. And they'll like call out okay. and try and motivate you. But they also are steering the boat and making sure you're not like, you know, smashing into things. So they're like the conductor of the orchestra. Yes. Yes. And what's funny too, that I didn't realize before starting to row is that they also direct the crew, the, you know, crew of rowers before they even get in the water. So like when you're picking up your boat, cause it's a huge fucking boat. It's like really long. Yeah. When you're carrying it on the dock, they are still directing you. They'll be like up an inch in two. That's one, two. And then like you lift the boat, changes <laughs> and slide. Like, 
you're you don't do anything until your coxswain tells you to, which wow. is so funny. I mean, I'm glad that there's a system because I could definitely see somebody getting crushed <laughs> by this boat. <laughs> well, I think what the programs care more about in terms of having a coxswain direct the carrying of the boat is that the boats are like expensive dozens of thousands of dollars they're like so expensive (laughs) but so the rowers in an eight are all sitting in a straight line so it's like single file and they're all is not like they're all effectively facing backwards and what i mean by that is like imagine you're a passenger in a car and the car is in reverse so you're facing the opposite way that you're moving Mm. does that make sense (laughs) yes yes like they're they're going that I'm just pointing. This is unhelpful. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why the person, the cox would be on the other, like at the back of the boat facing forward. Mm-hmm. Facing forward. Because the rowers aren't looking in the direction that they're going. Exactly. Anyway, one more thing to just clarify, as I alluded to, is that most programs do split up into lightweight and open weight or heavyweight. Open weight and heavyweight are synonyms. So they split up into two teams. And at the collegiate level, lightweight is not an NCAA sport. It's regulated by what I talked about earlier, their inter- intercollegiate rowing association. But lightweight teams typically still uh, like abide by NCAA rules because they're still part of like the overall rowing program. Hmm. So I think the NCAA still is pretty heavy handed in how they govern lightweight teams, even though they're not getting scholarships. Like they're not getting the benefits of like an NCAA team. They're still abiding by and like not allowed to make money off of being an amateur athlete Mm -hmm. but in terms of like according to ira rules what is a lightweight team well a men's boat in a lightweight category has to have all rowers coming in under 160 however there is a twist (laughs) (laughs) for men's you have to have a boat average under 155 so everyone at the individual level has to at least be under 160 but if you have someone who's 160, then, like, you theoretically need to offset that with someone who's 150. Okay. Okay. Which I think we'll, we'll talk about the dynamics of how that affects the team okay. later. But that, I think, is, like, really tough. And 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 for women, their weight, their weight cap is 130 pounds. But there's no, like, additional restriction for average weight that I found on the IRA website. Is there a reasoning to have the average weight be lower than the the individual weight i don't know no i have no idea why like why wouldn't they just say 155 or 150 i don't know (laughs) it's so odd to me and like why just for men like this is the same governing body that's saying for men you need the average weight but i guess not for women at least not the pdf that i'm looking at from 2017 (sighs) like why are you why is it different it's so weird to me i don't know interesting like because I, I yeah the fact that it's different does make sense because if the reasoning is like well you need a certain amount of weight on the boat and so as long as you're under 160 it should average out but maybe somebody's 149 and someone's 159 and it has to average out to something but then it should also apply to the women's teams if they're trying to get to a certain like amount of weight on the boat yeah I don't know I, I know that the weight cap in general is just like to give smaller people a chance to be competitive. Like you're going to be a significantly faster rower if you're like 6'2 and 200 pounds. You just are. Yeah. And so this is to give smaller people who are just like naturally lean and short and small the chance to also be competitive at a sport they might really love. And that's the point of the weight cap. But 
the weight average? Like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I really hmm. don't. <laughs> the weight thing is so interesting, too, because like you were saying, six to 200 pounds, like you're going to be faster mm-hmm. because you're probably stronger. Like you have more muscle mass, maybe. But also, if there's like less weight overall in the boat, maybe it's easier to move it forward. Like, I was thinking yes. that the weight cap was because like they want to keep the people light enough that the boat, like there's maybe like a perfect equilibrium of... I know small enough, like a low enough number of weight mm, that it'll offset like the like, efficient. yeah, that'll offset the maybe lack of strength or compared to somebody that has more muscle mass. Yeah. I don't know who calculates these things. Who's like in charge of this spreadsheet. That's like, I, I know. I want to <laughs> know like who determined this is what a lightweight weight cap is. I have no idea who's but... using their physics degree for this. Yes. <laughs> and why? <laughs> but like, no, I, the, heavyweight boats will always beat lightweight boats i don't know what it is but they're they're still despite weighing more more weight efficient at the end of the day in terms of like Mm. getting that speed cranked out like they just move yeah like you wouldn't believe and so that's that's why the weight cap exists but i'm not sure about the average and they compete only against other people that are on lightweight right yes exactly so it's like wrestling or something that you're like in a weight class and you're not going to yes. compete against somebody who's a lot heavier than you. Yes. But what's interesting to me is that wrestling has 14 weight classes. So you can be wrestling at 126, at 132, at 138, at 145, which I'm regurgitating because I interviewed Andrew about this, who was a wrestler last night. <laughs> so I could know about weight-based sports. <laughs> but it's also, that's so specific too. Like, is, is there not a range? Like, it's very difficult to be the exact same pound every day Uh, yeah (laughs) right so you're allowed to be under or exactly your weight class if you're over you could theoretically wrestle up if you have the space in your roster like if you're normally supposed to wrestle 138 but today you're 140 and there's no one on your team who's wrestling the 145 category you could wrestle it Mm. but you can't really wrestle like that much above your weight category One thing that he said they did do in high school was they gave them two extra pounds after the holidays, which I thought was nice. (laughs) Two? Isn't that sweet? (laughs) I know. He was like, I definitely still, like, didn't enjoy the holidays the way I did in non-wrestling seasons. Let's be clear. But, yeah, if you were, like, wrestling normally at 132 after the new year, you could come in at 134. In, In high school. I don't know about college. I did not know that... I know this is like insular to whoever's listening, but I did not know that Andrew wrestled and he has such a like peaceful like demeanor. Like I can't imagine him. I know. Do- doing anything that's like I know. fighting someone in some way. I know you would never freaking know, but he was, he was telling me all about it and he was saying he thinks it is a little bit different than lightweight rowing because you can over the course of four years, move up a bunch of weight classes. You could start as a first year in high school at 126 and then as you grow and build muscle mass and gain weight and anything you can just come in the next season and be like okay like I'm gonna this time wrestle at 138 this time I'm gonna wrestle at 145 and like work with your coach on that whereas for lightweight you always as a woman have to be under 130 and as a as a like man have to be under 160 all throughout college yes and I'm so glad you asked because when I looked into the youth lightweight limit it was the same so you have to be under 130 pounds in high school. And that doesn't change when you get to college for women. And it doesn't, it changes by like five pounds for guys. I think high school is 155 to be lightweight and then college is 160. But either way, that's not, 
they're, they're not allowing you to grow that much or to like put on that much muscle mass or to like have a slower metabolism. Like it's so like, how could you as a senior in college be the same as what you were as a freshman in high school? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Super 14 and 22. <gasps> Very different. I, I, I also I 130 I was... is like a, a pretty low weight overall. So like, that's... I was probably born as like 130. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like what? It's so and, tiny. I don't remember the last time I saw that number. <laughs> like what the hell? And like being an athlete, you probably have a lot more muscle mass and muscle is heavy as shit. Especially when you get to college. Yeah. And suddenly you're training two or three times a day. A fucking course you're going to put on muscle. But no, no. Even though you're 22 and training like a collegiate athlete, you still got to be what you weighed as a first year of high school. That's so many things to think about. Wait, and, and so is there like a height cap? No. Okay. So if you're like 5'10 and you want to row, you need to be 130 pounds? Well, you can you can row open weight. Okay. And so you could you could row open weight and be 5'10 and like 200 pounds, and that's totally fine. However, what ends up happening, and we'll talk about this, is people who are sort of on the cusp end up being kind of pushed yeah. into lightweight because they'd be more competitive there than they would in open weight. And that's where it's... Yeah, I was going to say that like if the open weight tends to be people that are heavier and more muscular, if you're just like... If you're a lean, tall person, then it would probably make more sense for you to be in the lightweight in terms of your body right. composition. But right. if you're a certain height, I don't know if maybe like on average, I don't know if you have this data of like if people that are interested in going into rowing tend to be shorter because of the weight limit or something. But I don't know. But if you're like a, a tall girl and you're like 145 or something and you're still like extremely lean, but then you have to like lose 15 pounds. If you're if you're a tall girl at 145, you're probably gonna try for lightweight. That's what's the fucked up thing. Oh, you're probably God. not going for open weight. Jesus. Yeah, I want to show you this video of the Winklevoss twins just so you can see like this random person is like rowing with them just to see how hard rowing is. I guess. <laughs> but there, for context, they are not lightweights, and they're talking to this person. Who's just like an average dude. And I want you to see like the size difference. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like significantly smaller than what like. Yeah. Open weight is. You know what I mean? Like open weight is just like. You're definitely not. That's. I think that's what I was getting at too. Or what you were saying of like. It just doesn't make. You're not going to be that competitive in the next. In the open weight. Mm -hmm. If you you have Winklevoss people. Yeah. That are super (laughs) tall. And muscular, and you're like, I'm 15 pounds heavier than what they said. What do you think? And they're like, no. Right. <laughs> Get out. Anyway, that's just to contextualize what, like, open weight rowers, like, size-wise might compare to the average population. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it is hard to be competitive. But in addition to a lot of, like, the normal research I did of watching documentaries and, like, reading random articles and studies, I also low-key interviewed people for today's episode the winklevosses (laughs) (laughs) surprise guest appearance (laughs) um no sadly um (laughs) it was more like friends and family that i'm texting and having send me voice notes and then i also watched some youtube videos as always because i really wanted to talk about people's firsthand experiences living out these restrictions Mm -hmm. so we're just gonna today walk through a few of their stories starting with 
men's lightweight and then we'll end on women's lightweight cool and then all of the names from my interviews are going to be anonymized but anything that's from like an article or documentary or like public youtube videos i'll obviously just say their names okay okay so let's start with men's lightweight so one of my friends had a classmate who was on the men's lightweight rowing team at a pretty competitive university. Mm-hmm. This dude was her lab partner and we'll call him Caleb. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing you need to know about Caleb is that he is six, four. Oh my God. Caleb is a giant. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember the weight cap for men? 160. Yeah. And he's six fucking four. So did he have to cut off know. a limb? Like <laughs> he must have, he must have. So my friend, whose lab partner is Caleb, my friend starts noticing that, like, basically after Tuesday each week, he's completely dysfunctional mm. to the point of being, like, literally unable to participate in class and join in lab reports. And so she slowly learns. I, I just can't keep, like, asking him to participate, basically, because he can't function. He's, like, literally not yeah not able to, like, cognitively be present in class, let alone, like, socialize or do other things. And she realized it's it's because his weigh-ins are on, I think, like, Fridays or Saturdays. It's, like, the morning of your race. And so his prep for weigh-in literally begins four days before. And according to someone I interviewed, it's very typical to start prep that early, not to euphemize it. Like, prep makes it sound like you're, like, neutrally preparing. But, yeah, this this is pretty typical of an experience, I would say, Caleb's experience of, like... What does prep mean? Like, you just stop eating? <sighs> yeah, pretty much. Well, a lot of things. What's weird is... The things you end up having to do to make these weight cutoffs are so profoundly unhealthy because if you're four days away from weigh-in, nutrition really doesn't matter. What you have to start doing is get rid of all of your body weight. I mean, sorry. Water. (laughs) All of your water weight. So for example, Caleb at his like literal lowest already super underweight weight was 167 pounds, but he was still managing to make weigh-in at 160 every single week. And that was all water weight. Yeah. Yeah. Because in four days, you're not meaningfully losing any, like, fat. Right. You're just going to get dehydrated. (laughs) Exactly. And so they have all of these weird hacks where, like, so I guess, so someone I interviewed was, like, the typical diet for, like, weigh-in prep is to eat calorically light foods like four days ahead of time. So you're eating just like salad and bananas. And then the day before day of you're just eating like peanut butter and donuts because you need things that in your body will not physically have weight, but will maximize energy. It just becomes this weird thing where it's not nutrition or health forward at all. You're just optimizing for caloric density relative to physical weight. Yeah, because I was going to say then if you're just eating salad and bananas for four days and if you can't even like sit in class and listen to something, how are you going to row a boat? Like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> how oh, are you oh. going to, where are you going to find the energy to do that? I have no idea. You're going to faint. I don't know. And like, I, 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 I don't know. And they're more likely to faint when they start cutting their wadi- water weight on top of that. Yeah. So this is also very dangerous for your electrolyte levels. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I mean, it's dangerous for everything. It's dangerous for... Yeah. Obviously, your psyche, for your bone density, for just generally being hydrated enough to keep walking in a straight line. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. But and obviously, like, long-term, the bone density stuff. But, like, on a very day-to-day level, like, if you if your water is off and your, like, salt levels are off, you could just collapse. Like, right. it's a very imminent 
thing that if you like right. lose a little bit too much potassium or something you're just like gone right so and like we were told in high school we were like chugging water the day of our races because we were told your muscles literally don't perform when they're not hydrated yeah like you need to have fluids in your body for things to be like moving efficiently from place to place like i'm like chugging fucking- my water right now this is I'm so thirsty <laughs> but yeah so these people are weighing themselves constantly and so they'll know ahead of time whether or not they can just like roll up to a weigh and make it or whether they need to take drastic measures beyond just the already i'm eating my salad and bananas on monday and then i'm only eating donuts tuesday and wednesday and then i stop eating thursday like they'll they'll know if they can just do that and be fine or if they need to do more and the more in this case would be one, one person who i interviewed was like if you're at a home race you would go into hot tubs or saunas and just like sweat it out. Oh my God. If you're at an away race, you do a sweat run where your teammates just pile all of their layers onto you and you put a trash bag on top and go run around to sweat it out. <laughs> Which speaking about performing in a race, there's no like how are like you're you're obviously not optimizing for performance at that point. You're just trying to cut your weight down because if you've just gone on a half an hour sprint run with like 30 a pounds trash of layers bag? on your body. <laughs> You're clearly not about to, like, row the best race of your life. You're just able to, by technicality, get inside the boat. Yeah. And I wonder if all of the people, or not all, but I wonder if there are so many people that are, like, malnourished in this way that they're just, that that it, it's, it ends up being fine because you're just competing against other people who are dehydrated. And yeah. it's like, well, what if we just lift the cap a little or have, like, height? situations or like take that into account in some way and like not that i think the bmi makes any fucking sense but like right it is reasonable that someone who is taller will weigh more there's more of them (laughs) yeah you have at the least longer (laughs) ligaments and more bones like yeah 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 no it's it's really bizarre and they so they go into a sauna and then they don't drink water after no 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 no. you would never dare to drink water the day of a weigh-in you would (gasps) never dare how are these people literally, like, do people die? Isn't that horrible? <laughs> and some of them, some of them are working out in the sauna. What? Mm-hmm. Which we'll get to. Because this they need ridiculous. to sweat it out. Yeah, no, what, no, no. What no. are sports? I, I know. <laughs> I know. Like, you're just, you're not, you're not rowing well at that point. You're literally just by technicality allowed to get into the boat. And that's it. And it's funny because when I think of, I I mean, I went to a college where sports were not a thing. Mm -hmm. And when I think of like college athletes, I think of people that are like my image in my head that I've made up is like Mm -hmm. really optimizing for nutrition and being extremely healthy in like everything that you put into your body and and just like really monitoring that. Not like, all right, I'm going to eat a couple donuts because they don't weigh (laughs) anything. And then I'm going to like sweat in a sauna. And I'm like, mm-hmm. really? That's it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's weird about it just being this like one specific threshold is that like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of research about sports and eating disorders in general. Yeah. But from the literature I was looking at, there's not a lot about like rowing necessarily catalyzing more eating disorders than other sports in like a long-term clinical sense. Yeah. But it definitely has one of the higher rates of like disturbed weight making practices and like pathological use of diuretics and just like really, really unhealthy, acutely dangerous habits. Even if that person isn't later going to develop like a long-term clinical eating disorder. Yeah. Like it's for the time being of this is the tool that I'm, Mm -hmm. yeah, 
because eating disorders are like rarely actually about food and this is very much about food and weight and like calculating that and like how to hack your body but it doesn't just because it doesn't like transcend after college it does not mean that in the moment this is not like creating potential long-term health impacts or just like right you could you could really hurt yourself right like one of the studies i was looking at was like this is still of significant clinical concern yes because no matter what like you're still miserable in the moment you're nutritionally deprived you're not paying attention in class you're not socializing you're not sleeping well at all you're so dehydrated you're working out in a sauna like that's bad it doesn't matter it doesn't really matter at that point what else is happening beyond that that is enough for us to be like something should change yeah and you're still between like 18 and 22 you're still growing up until like I think past 30 or or around 30 is like you're you're building all the bone density that you're gonna have yes and the muscle like it's very critical time to take care of yourself right because then afterwards you can't get that time back and so if you're if you're not building strong bones during that time you're screwing yourself over for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life just to row for four years right and not not to like diminish it like i understand that these things are a huge part of people's identities and like a priority for them but it's frustrating that you can't participate in a sport or have this be part of your life without these weird regulations that force you to hurt yourself and to harm your body potentially forever forever not to be so drama but like you could cause some serious damage like why can't we just change the rules so that people can do the thing they want to do without having to eat salad and like there has to be a better way right like there has there there just is a better way way. (laughs) yeah (laughs) but like not even creative like it seems pretty straightforward like (laughs) like maybe don't make people starve themselves i know option one because i think (laughs) I think what's alienating for the people like Caleb is that there are some people who are natural lightweights and who are really grateful to lightweight for the opportunity to get to participate in a sport that they otherwise couldn't. Yeah. But that means there's like such a disproportionate level of experiences on a lightweight team because some people are not doing this and then a ton of people are... And it sucks that there's no intermediate like with wrestling there seems to be many more weight classes not just lightweight yes and open weight open weight just such a weird term I but know. whatever like there's no intermediate so it's either i need to lose seven pounds in a day mm-hmm. or i need to like gain 50 yeah to, like compete <laughs> like like why can't I why know. is there nothing for people in that range because obviously lightweight people should be able to participate and that's great that there's a space for them to do that but shouldn't everyone have space to participate without having to like force their body through things? Like, why can't we have like a middle range? I know. <laughs> I really think there should be at least slightly more differentiation. But I also think what's hard is you're trying to fill a boat with eight people. Mm. So like in wrestling, if you don't fill your, let's say your 126 weight class, you mm-hmm. just forfeit that one match. Yeah. But like the rest of your people can wrestle at whatever weight class. So you only really need one per class. Whereas this is like, you would need a boat of them. And I think that's And there's hard. just not enough people that are rowing. Yeah. To I th- I think it would just be hard to be like, okay, this boat is the 130 boat. This boat is the 140 boat. This boat is the one. Like, I think mm. that would start to get hard. But if you remember specific to men's lightweight rowing, there's also that group average that your whole team has to be below. And so because Caleb, this 6'4 dude, was always at the very top of the weight cap. Mm-hmm. That means the rest of his boat had to be 
even further below it, which would be fine if they were all at like naturally healthy athletic weights and we're still below 160. That'd be fine. But that's like really not what's happening. Oh, my God. And do they talk about this in advance? Would you say more like are all are all the rowers speaking to each other like, hey, I'm at 150 and somebody else is at 167 and they need to get down to 160. Like, are they calculating all of this together or is it like game day? Let's see what happens. It's at a point where you don't really need to. You're going to know, you know what everybody's, you know where everyone's going to be basically. Mm -hmm. And like where you need to make up the slack, if that makes sense. Like one of the people I was interviewing, he was like, I always knew if I could be like two pounds up or two pounds down, depending on if I was with this like one light dude or not. Oh my God. So like you're looking at your weight so many times a day and your teammates weight so many times a day. You just know it inside out at that point. That is so unhealthy to be mm-hmm. like mentally, even if you don't develop an eating disorder past this, like we don't need to be weighing ourselves every week, even please like, well that, yeah, they talk about that. They're like, my body just doesn't feel like my own because yeah. you don't get to use it for things like class or so- socializing. Yeah. It belongs to the team. And also I'm sure it could create kind of like a dissociative feeling of there's not a lot of stability because if you're looking at a scale and there's so many factors, as you can see with the water weight stuff that impact what your Mm -hmm. weight is on a scale that like if you're seeing that fluctuate constantly it might be hard to have like a sense of self in 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 terms of like how you feel about your physical body of like Mm -hmm. it's so in flux that it's hard to feel like a stability of yeah because it becomes this manipulatable thing yeah like this thing made to be calibrated and recalibrated people say that they can before stepping on the weight they're like i know i'm gonna be 126.3 oh my god you shouldn't fucking know that. Don't fill your brain with that. Useless information. <laughs> I know. It's just like, it's heartbreaking. But so my friend who was lab partners with Caleb, she also knew someone else on the rowing team that we'll call Mike. And I'm going to take this opportunity before I dive more into Mike's experience to explain to you what a seat race is. Okay. You basically have two boats racing. So let's say you have an eight. Yeah. You have two of those racing right next to each other. And the coaches are in little motorized boats. <laughs> following along with their megaphone and they're measuring who's coming in first and like how many lengths of difference there are how many like boat lengths of difference there are in the race and then let's say let's say you're the stroke seat so that first seat in front of every other rower let's say you're the stroke seat of one boat and i'm the stroke seat of another boat our boats will race and then in the water we'll scooch our boats together like a little jigsaw puzzle we'll shimmy them together and in the water you and i will their shoes in the boats We'll unvelcro our shoes, we'll slide out, and we'll climb across and switch seats in the water, strap back up, readjust ourselves, and then we'll race again. And they'll measure the coaches how many boat lengths of difference there is in this second race to determine which of the two of us makes a boat go faster. And and so the result is basically if you're, let's say you're in the first boat, the better boat, and I'm in second boat, mm-hmm. and you end up winning this seat race, you'll just stay where you are. Mm-hmm. If I end up winning the seat race, we're going to switch boats. I'm going to be bumped to first boat mm-hmm. and you're going to be bumped to second boat. So I'm like, oh, I'm performing well. I'm going to move up. This is exciting. Well, back to Mike. He was rowing super well on the lightweight team, that same lightweight team as Caleb. And finally, after after a lot of hard work, he got bumped up a boat and he was super excited. But the guy he replaced was super light in terms of weight <gasps> and had previously dragged down the boat average. So this meant that Mike who was already severely underweight was basically having now to lose an additional eight pounds to keep this higher seat. If he like, if he wants to keep this seat, it's like you're being penalized for performing well. Cause if he wants to keep a seat. He has to lose more weight. Wow. 
And then you 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 must inevitably perform worse, right? I just can't. I just can't understand this calculus. <laughs> like, there's no chance that you're becoming like a better athlete the more you lose weight. I know it's so crazy. It's it's so so that team dynamic. I just think is horrible. And Mike ended up quitting after two seasons because it was too fucking much and is in the literal sense unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And then Caleb, our six four friend moved to open weight and that's an exception to the rule not many people are like really able to pull that off but I I guess my point is like this lightweight situation is too unsustainable for both of them and I don't really have information on retention rates because again they're like not regulated by by the NCAA Mm -hmm. and I think retention rates across a lot of sports are bad for a lot of reasons I think a whole other episode could be about like exploitation and abuse of our athletes without proper compensation or support but (laughs) i'm sure the retention rates regardless of if it's more than other sports or not i'm sure lightweight rowing retention rates are poor yeah but now we're gonna move to women's lightweight rowing okay so this person i found on youtube she's a youtuber her name is gretchen and i was so enraptured with her story like Mm. eyes glued to the computer because mostly because of how nervous she seemed like at different points throughout the video she's tearing up and she keeps caveating and saying she's like really not trying to expose people and she's like only talking about her own experience Mm. but I mean she put up her video in July of 2019 and hadn't been rowing for years at that point and was like still so visibly affected by this Mm. but I think yeah so her story I think the reason I wanted to tell it too is just I think it also starts to highlight some of like the victim blaming feeling the toxic culture and also general veil of secrecy and like willful ignorance i feel like i'm throwing out buzzwords but i think it touches (laughs) on all of that (laughs) so gretchen started i think roaming maybe like right before high school or at the very beginning of high school but her first time participating in a weigh-in is her freshman year of high school which is really young Mm. and so this is a good time to mention that yes youth rowers were being weighed Mm. and we'll talk we'll talk more about that later but yes she was weighing in and so freshman year of high school she comes in at about 138 pounds and she says she immediately starts sobbing and starts crying to her twin sister who also does rowing and she's like i wanted to be a lightweight and i was immediately just like mad at myself and i was like no i can do it i just have to start eating better and working out more and i i can do it but she was like i feel like now in retrospect it should have been a sign to me that the first time i ever stepped on a scale i started sobbing and was like having like self-loathing thoughts yeah But it got so much worse, to quote her directly. So she did, obviously, I I, I know you can guess, she did go on to row lightweight, even though she is 5'9". And she just says, like, with the intensity of the training program and also having a fast metabolism because she was young and obviously wasn't really drinking alcohol yet, she was able to make weight after she, like, kind of put her mind to it in high school and she never really approached 130 pounds again until her senior year of high school and she says that in her senior year of high school there were some times when she would restrict before weigh-ins and she's like it wasn't so bad though but her version of not so bad restricting was like having only one salad the day before a weigh-in and then just not eating or drinking until weigh-in the next day and it gets so much worse in college and I was like okay that's I don't know that already feels like not super health forward athletic behavior so i yeah like you're already at Mm -hmm. that age when you're you're, it's you're so young and you're already just like not able to focus on like health and performance you're just like hyper focused on this number Mm -hmm. but so she gets to college and she starts lifting because the college programs include like two and three days 
but they also include a lot of like heavyweight training or like heavy lifting training. And so she gains a ton of muscle weight. And so she immediately has to start restricting a lot more. And she's like, I'm pretty much just eating like strawberries and pistachios. And her metabolism is also slowing. And she's now drinking alcohol. And it's just getting harder and harder and harder to weigh in at 1.30 mm. every single Friday. And if you mm. don't, you don't race. But yeah, so she continues throughout the entire fall. Both her and her twin by the end of fall are injured. So she has a stress fracture in her rib. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Which is super common for rowers, but she was blamed for it. She was told you're not getting enough sleep. And she's like, I can't sleep because I'm not eating. And I'm like, why are you not like, getting enough sleep? No, you're not eating protein. <laughs> like, right. What? Correct. Right. So she's like, she's being blamed for this. Her sister has two herniated discs. Ow. I know. Her sister's injuries were bad enough to prevent her sister from continuing rowing that season. Whereas Gretchen could still sort of like race and compete. But what she would have to do every day, this is more just like sports agnostic. This isn't about lightweight rowing, but I thought it was interesting. She's like, I would just run for two hours every day to keep up with our minutes. And so I like looked into crew training programs. And so depending on whether it's on or off season, you have like a certain number of minutes of exercise you have to do in certain cardiovascular zones per week. So your training week in peak season can be like required 1000 minutes of training, which is 16 hours of cardio of like work. Yeah, of working out. Oh, my God. <laughs> and if you can't row, you make that up elsewhere. So if you're injured but, like, still competing, you oh, you can't erg, which is the indoor rowing machine. Oh, you can't erg? Well, you're running by yourself without your team. But if you can't erg, then how could you row? Like, if that motion hurts, how are you supposed <laughs> to compete? That's the whole thing. I don't know. I mean, I wish Gretchen were here to ask, but she was still competing with a stress fracture in her rib. And so did it ever heal? Like... I don't know. Oh, God, I hope so. I hope so. But like, couldn't uh, that just make it worse and then get a full fracture? Yeah. In your rib? 100%. That's very dangerous. No. <laughs> I know. I think all athletes work through some of the craziest injuries. It's so bizarre to me. But yeah, it sucks because like then you're injured and you're running by yourself mm. and you're not with your team. And it's just like not fun. And I think she she sort of talks about that. She was like, I suddenly realized I liked rowing because I liked hanging out with my sister Aww. and now that she's not here because of her herniated disc like I fucking hate it like I'm not having any fun at all and like oh why am I here there are so many ways that you can hang out with your sister that does not involve getting stress fractures and not eating I know and it's just like sad because like when you're in high school and you're rowing and it's like that's like your mandated physical education and yeah you're having fun with it like me it's it's so hard to tease that apart and it just like this is a really tough way to find out that what you were actually enjoying is like spending time with your sister. I don't know. Just like my heart breaks my heart. I know. But so that I think was sort of like the first blow is Lucy, her twin, not being there really anymore. And then I think maybe like the second or an additional blow was meeting with the school or team nutritionist. And the nutritionist was like, hey, by the way, it's like really not good if you aren't getting your period. So please come meet with me after this little presentation if that's happening to you. And she and Lucy are like fucking shocked. And they're looking at each other like, what the hell? What's a period? <laughs> they're like, what? <laughs> Menstrual cycle? No, but they were just like, the hell? Like, we haven't had that in 
years. And apparently their doctor in high school had been like, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. Like a ton of young girls that I who are my patients who are runners and gymnasts, like never get their cycle. Like, don't worry about it. Who is this doctor? And so this was their first time hearing like, oh, like you could develop premature osteoporosis if you don't have your cycle. And that could create this sort of domino effect of certain things. And so she meets with this nutritionist and they immediately hit the stalemate where they're like, well, you need to get your period back. And to do that, you need to gain weight. But if you gain weight, you will be kicked off the team. And so it's like, all right, well, what the fuck do I do now? Yeah. And so they kind of just like let her sit in that limbo and walk away and keep rowing. There's like really no follow through in harm reduction. And I'm not like, oh, Lucy, or I'm not trying to say like, oh, Gretchen should have gotten kicked off the team. But it is a little weird that like they know this is happening. Yeah. And they're just like, well, you should gain weight. And now I've done my job. Bye. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's why I feel like they, they I know you were saying that it, it would be difficult to like fill a boat of eight but like I don't know if it's ethical to allow people to compete if mm-hmm. you know that they are putting themselves mm-hmm. in harm's way and hurting mm-hmm. their bodies and instead of it being their burden of well I can either pick my health or the sport that I enjoy like create room for them to enjoy the sport without losing their period right and like there are a lot i don't think a lot of lightweight programs recruit i think some do and in some cases that's how you got into college it's obviously not you're not getting scholarship money as i said so you're not like walking away from a scholarship but i think it is still really hard to quit because if it is what you've always done in high school or if it is how you got into college it's like it's such a pillar of your identity and like how how do you reckon how do you reconcile that when your nutritionist is like this is really bad for your health and we live in a fat phobic society that makes that that is obsessed Mm. with thinness and so also having to say to yourself Mm -hmm. like any gender having to walk away from something because of your weight can be so like detrimental psychologically because of the society that we live in that people you're going to feel judged or embarrassed Mm -hmm. or like well I was too heavy for my sport right is is, can be a traumatizing thing to say and so it's like there's no there's no solution there's like no way out that's like actually giving care to anyone exactly there's like yeah there's no follow through and follow up and like generalized harm reduction it's such shit sounds like they're just trying to avoid a lawsuit like we told her she should get her period off the hook oh yeah no they they (laughs) they made all of the rowers on her team sign a waiver that says like i will not go in a sauna or do other weird behaviors to make way in i will not intentionally lose weight and it's like (laughs) <laughs> okay, first of all, clearly, if you had to put sauna in the contract, you've had a problem with the saunas. <laughs> but second of all, it's like that waiver is not to get the girls to not lose weight. It's so that you you don't have liability. Yeah, because yeah. she says, she says, and we'll talk about this a little bit. She says, they all know exactly what the fuck is going on. Yeah. that's You're signing a waiver so that you get blamed if you break the rules exactly. and you go into the sauna. Not so that you are protected from mm-hmm. doing poor behaviors. It, mm-hmm. It's just, it's such garbage um but so i basically just want to talk about what she calls the worst way in of her life and um (sighs) it's kind of what catalyzed like the beginning of the end for her okay so this is before an away race and she gets up at 5 a.m and goes straight to the sauna and was there for an hour occasionally taking breaks but otherwise being in there for an hour doing crunches doing crunches oh my god how does she not pass out i don't know this is gonna like literally make me cry she brought a towel in there with her because she felt like the faster she wiped the sweat off, the more she would sweat. 
and the more she would lose. So she like brings her towel in and is just like obsessively wiping her sweat off to make sure she's sweating as fast as she can. Like that just, I'm sorry, it just, it really breaks my heart to picture her like five in the morning alone in a sauna doing crunches, wiping her sweat as fast as she can. Oh my God. Like it just, I can't even think about it. That's horrible. But then she goes to the boathouse on campus and she's crying before she steps on because she knows she's not going to make it. And this is not the official way in. She's going to be weighed at the race. But she wants to see where she's at and, like, you know, mm-hmm. what um, drastic measures she's going to have to take to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And she's 133. And she's crying. And she's, like, she goes to her assistant coach and she's, like, I'm so worried. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And the assistant coach says to her, do I look worried? No. And if I'm not worried, you shouldn't be. And, like, kind of walks away. What does that mean? Which is basically, like, do whatever it fucking takes and you're going to you're gonna do it. And I know you're going to do it and you're going to make it freaking happen. Which is just, like, oh, it makes my skin crawl. Oh, my God. And it's also, like, it's, like, gaslighting, too. Because, like, you've signed this waiver where you're, like, I'm not going to lose weight on purpose. I'm not going to go into a sauna. And then they're, like... No, you're going to make it. And I know you have three pounds left to go and you're going to make it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to say know. how you're going to make it, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Does yeah. this waiver mean that like they could get kicked off the team if they're like caught doing any of this stuff? Like, I know that it's like understood that everybody knows, but is it an agreement of like, you're, you can't use steroids, you'll get kicked off kind of thing? No, it does. It seems like the majority of people were engaging in the practices outlined in the waiver and worse. And everyone knew about it. So I don't think anyone would have gotten kicked off unless maybe like some random organization like conducted an investigation. (laughs) Did an audit. (laughs) (laughs) I think the point of the waiver is like strictly to protect the institution. Yeah. And that's it. Love it. Um, It's not going to get anyone kicked off. Um, But so then she boards the bus. They leave the boathouse. They, you know, load up all their boats into their trailer and they get on the bus. And it's a six hour ride to New Jersey where they're going to be racing. And she spends... And many other girls. She's not the only one. I think it's important to say many other girls. Like she refers to the girls as she refers to the girls who are naturally lightweight as the magical few. Uh. Like no one in this team is actually a lightweight person. They're forcing themselves to be. So she and many other people on the bus ride spend the entire time just spitting into cups, trying to cut down on their water weight. What? Oh, it gets worse. Because they're so dehydrated, they have no saliva. So they're all sucking on Jolly Ranchers. They have a pack of Jolly Ranchers that they're all sucking on. So she's like, we're just filling cups and water bottles full of this red and purple spit. And they're just like water bottles of spit in the truck or in the bus. Oh, my God. This also wasn't the first time she had done that. She talks about this other time where she had been the night before or like the morning of a different way in doing that on her bed and accidentally spilling her cup of like purple saliva all over her pretty white comforter and just like losing it just like breaking down and sobbing mm. which of course you would because like you're nutritionally deprived and like <laughs> i don't know like a, a fucking course like that's a horrible situation i don't know that that also uh. make, made me really sad <laughs> so now she's been on a six-hour bus ride she hasn't been eating she hasn't been drinking she's just been spitting <laughs> she's not like intaking she's only outputting oh and my she God. She weighs herself, and now she's down to 131 pounds. This is not yet the official weigh-in. So she's like, there is she's like, there is nothing left in me. I can't pee. I can't poop. I can't spit anything else out. Like, there is nothing left in me, left in me. And so begins her first sweat run. So that's when seniors on her team load her and a few other girls up with every 
layer they have. She's like, I was wearing like three pairs of leggings. Like I'm picturing Joey from that episode of Friends where he's wearing all of Chandler's clothes. Yes. Like that's what I'm picturing. (laughs) And so she and two other girls head to their sweat run and she's like sprinting for over half an hour. How? In all these layers, which is not so counterproductive. Like you're not, you're clearly not going to race well. You're not going to race well. You're not in a mental state and you're not in a physical state to race well. How much time between the weigh-in and like getting in the boat? Is it immediate? Like they weigh and go sit down? It depends. It depends on your boat. It could be like, it could be like maybe like two hours or, but it could be less. It depends on if you're the first one to go. You like, will could have you time get... to drink. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like do, do they weigh themselves, themselves and then they drink a bunch of water and like eat a cliff yes. bar? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my uh, God. So much so. Um, <laughs> But See, so that's so stupid. So then, like, I know. so then clearly the weight doesn't matter because then it's like, don't drink water until after the weight. And it's like, okay, well, if the weight is so important, you will be like heavier once you actually get in the boat because you started yeah, drinking you're water. Be fucking 135 because you <laughs> chugged a gallon of water. Yeah. No, it's insane. So, yeah. So she's on her first sweat run and she's obviously really embarrassed because she's like running around campus and all of these people are like seeing her running. <laughs> Like, and like what's happening hundreds of pounds of clothing and she's like this is so embarrassing but finally her sweat run, her sweat run is over and she peels on I, I just can't decide which is most fucked up about this story but she peels on a special weigh-in uni a uni is the unisuit like the uniform they're, they're wearing okay it's like this like bodysuit spandex it's like a tank with like bike shorts basically but it's okay. a unisuit okay. so you pull that on but she's wearing a special weigh-in unisuit specifically made for weighing in that are paper thin and this is what is this is why it feels like institutionalized to me because it's like who's manufacturing this uni who placed that order for the thin uni yeah like who thought of doing that because it's not gretchen yeah like who who (laughs) handed her the uni she wasn't sitting in her dorm room like sewing a piece of paper (laughs) (laughs) so it's just like it feels so institutionalized so she's like yeah so i put in my put on my Weigh in uni after starving, after the sauna, after the spitting, after the sweat run. And she weighs in at 130.0. So she makes it. <gasps> Barely. And she says after weigh-ins, like, everyone just, like, gains all of that weight back in a 24-hour period. But she's like, you don't even, like, pee for a day. You don't poop. Like, nothing. Ha- like Because your body is just soaking it in like a sponge. Because it's been so, like, wrung out. And you do that every single week. I, I I honestly can't like comprehend how how long are these seasons one week because I don't know how somebody does this like multiple times in a row oh this is a full year in in the fall I think they're a more whole le- year oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the fall they're more lenient and I and I'm not sure why I think the races are a little longer but like the regattas they were racing in like technically weren't measured in the same way so in, in spring, the weigh-ins are, like, much more strict. But she was, like, we were still weighing ourselves in in the fall. So she was, like, never above 135 for the year, regardless, when she was racing. <laughs> so that's what she says is, like, that's when I knew. I That was it. I'm not going to keep going. Like, this – I can't sustain this. Like, there's no way I can keep doing this every single week. She said yeah. she had Friday morning classes often before her races. And similar to Caleb was just, like, absolutely dysfunctional. Like, couldn't participate. She was like, I literally felt like if someone looked at me wrong, I was going to start bawling and like often did because I just like there was my brain didn't have the fuel to function like a normal brain. Yeah. So 
she decided to quit after her first year of rowing, which I am really glad she did because I think she needed to. Yeah. And then she said that summer after, she's like, I, I never worked out, which is totally fine. No one needs to be working out. I just think that for a lifelong athlete, the sign of having complete, like, it's just the sign of having such a shot relationship with exercise that it's not fun and it's only dreadful at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess when she returned her sophomore year to school and wasn't rowing, she was like, suddenly I started getting like decent grades and I was sleeping and I made friends and I got to hang out with my family. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh my, my God. God, those are like basic human necessities. Like yeah. sleeping. I can go to a party and like mm-hmm. have a beer and not feel like, what is this doing to me for five days from now? <laughs> oh my God. And um, something else I told you. I put in this little Easter egg. So I told you she released this video in July 2019. That's because she had graduated like a month or two before and she didn't want to make this video because she was scared that she wouldn't be able to graduate if she did. Because it would retaliate? Yeah. And like, I'm not sure that they would, but that's so fucked up, that power dynamic of like, and like, even still, she spends the whole time tripping over herself and like caveating everything and anonymizing everything and being like, I'm not Mm. trying to expose people. Like, this is just my experience. But like, a lot of rowers don't speak out and a fucking course not not if that's how they feel if they feel like i literally won't graduate if i say this stuff yeah oh my god mm-hmm. and like people in the comments on her youtube video are all like corroborating that being like oh this is exactly what happened to me like blah blah, blah. And yeah I'm like, oh my god and like a ton of people on articles about similar experiences comment and say this is exactly what happened to me and i'm like even if it's not technically the majority of lightweight rowers it's still clearly like a critical mass of people yeah having this experience is it is it common for women to lose their periods because i was gonna ask about there's only so much you can manipulate about water weight like women's weights will fluctuate more Mm -hmm. than men's i believe because of like around your cycle Mm -hmm. and is that not really coming into play because none of them have their period or like how do you even like control for hormones oh you they must it must not be coming into play because obviously they're manipulating their water weight on a weekly basis but they're all like severely underweight yeah to start so i think it's just not they're not having like monthly ups and downs in that i i am imagining because she she definitely didn't have her period at this point and again she's five nine like she is no longer 130 pounds and I would hope not. I know. And in looking at her video in, in like looking at her video, she still looks like this like ripped athlete. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can't, ima- I can't imagine you any trimmer. I really can't even picture it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could go back to her like videos from when she was a freshman, but I'm, I, I don't know. I just like, I almost don't even need to. Uh, it's also like, it's just weight is such a silly metric because of everything you've explained of like all these hacks, like you're not losing three pounds in a day. You're just dehydrating Ejecting yourself. water. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, like, it doesn't mean anything. Your weight mm-hmm. doesn't, like, in the grand scheme of things, obviously, it means absolutely nothing about, like, who you are as a person. But, like, it doesn't mean anything about your athletic ability right. Right. to be lighter or heavier. And I'm sure how you're describing her in her video now, like, maybe she's repaired her relationship with exercise and can, like, work out in a way that feels good for her and that she's able to without getting stress fractures and like eat food and be at a weight that more matches like her body's needs and her like genetics mm-hmm. and not be trying to manipulate it's very very difficult to manipulate your physiology like 
it's it's very hard to continuously try to hack your body like your body's smarter than you Mm -hmm. and your body has spent like evolution has made sure that we have Mm -hmm. all these mechanisms to protect our body weight Mm -hmm. because your body doesn't know that civilization has changed for all we know like (laughs) your body's like scarcity there's no food clearly there's Mm -hmm. no food i'm gonna hold on to anything that you eat if you don't feed me and like trying to get around that because a sport was invented and and these rules were invented your body doesn't know that your body doesn't know what you're trying to look for your body's trying to keep you alive right and you're like at war with it when it's like i'm trying to help you and so right it's gonna get harder and harder each week because it's just gonna like continually get better at fighting back against you like it's gonna continually hang on to more and more yeah and it's just uh, the the psychological effects i mean gretchen talks about like for years after it it takes so long and she's like i i really don't have a clinical eating disorder but just like generally psychologically trying to repair my relationship with my body and food is really fucking hard and like people in the comments were being so sweet because i guess she's posted other vlogs of her with her partner going to soul cycle and like grabbing cinnamon buns on the way home and they're like we're so glad you're able to like work out how you want and have fun and like do it with your boyfriend and like eat a cinnamon bun yeah like that's like that's life so normal yeah (laughs) it's so normal and people are like so so happy for you and i'm like oh my god oh goodness i'm so glad you can go to soul cycle without spitting in a cup that you can like get a treat after (laughs) you can like hydrate ahead of time you can drink water be what a present gift. during what a your gift. workout i know what a gift i i truly don't understand the mechanics of how they survive like on a very r- real level like i don't understand how you could be that dehydrated and exercise i don't get it no 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 i don't under- like the sauna crunches alone would have me passed out i just don't know how they then i i, I don't i don't get it <laughs> all the signs on the sauna are like don't go in by yourself and like mm-hmm. leave after this amount of time and drink a crap ton of water when you get out like mm-hmm Oh my god! So bad. I'd be so scared that something would happen to me. I know, and I, I don't know. I just think they're so desperate at that point. Like, what else are they going to do? Mm. But I wanted to talk about a few institutional regulations and changes because I know you and I we love a good chat about structural, more policy level regulations. So one thing Norway's been doing recently, which I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, is they only allow people and athletes to compete if they're not underweight they have good bone density and doctors believe that they don't have an eating disorder okay how do they measure the eating disorder i have no idea i don't know if it's like self-reported or just like they go through a series of questions with a doctor Mm. do we know what the results of this have been like oh i knew you're gonna ask that so (sighs) basically apparently so you're not allowed to compete but they talk about how there was a skier who was sort of identified, like got got the red light or something is what they called it. And they were then given a treatment plan with close follow-up. That's kind of vague, no specifics, but they said close follow-up. And the goal is to bring them as soon as possible to a place where they're back and able to train in a healthy way and compete as normal very quickly. Like one skier was out for three weeks and then came back. So I guess it's not like super punitive and it is theoretically like rehabilitative. And they say they, they take care of that athlete I'm just, I wonder if like preventative intervention could happen sooner and more of like a top down, like cultural way. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I really don't know what that would look like. And this, this person they were talking about was like a skier. This wasn't a lightweight rower. So it's not like removing certain weight restrictions would help that person because sports in general, I think can catalyze or trigger people who are predisposed to having eating disorders. But yeah, it it just, 
it's hard. And it's it's also been a recent change. So it's like, how do we even really know how many people it's helping, especially if some of the data is self-reported? Like, it's, it's just so hard. Yeah, because I think that measuring for those things sounds reasonable to me. But if the weight cap isn't changing and depending on how they measure what does underweight mean? Are they using BMI or are they using something else? How do they measure bone density? How long does it take to note to like for your bone density to be impacted? And like, how are they measuring measuring eating disorders? Because I could see that if the weight cap doesn't change, people would find the same way that like, I didn't know that you could suck on a Jolly Rancher to make yourself spit. Like, I'm sure people will find other ways to meet that criteria and like trick a doctor or hack something. Because the goal is still the same. The goal is still you need to be under a certain weight. Right. So I don't think it really it's not like top enough. Like got to go a little higher and like either change the weight cap and like make it broader or or I don't know or measure something else or stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Right. And that's another thing is like I, I just I always viscerally get nervous when underweight is conflated with eating disorders because yeah. the general population like you could have an eating disorder and you could be fat and like no one would know. Yeah. But you still would be like possibly at risk for certain long-term concerns and no one's going to know because you just like don't look like what they've decided an eating disorder looks like. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they're conflating it. I I really don't know that much about this program. But at least, I mean, I don't want to say at least it's something because like we should (laughs) always demand better. But I I am curious to see like what this looks like at like the sports agnostic level in Norway. And if there is, I don't know, room, room to use it as a case study, I guess. But wouldn't it also be excluding people like if they're using BMI for underweight, for example, if if someone's 5'9 or 5'10 or something and they're 130 pounds, that might be like BMI underweight. And so then does that mean that that person, if they're higher than that, if the weight cap doesn't change, like they just can't compete? Mm. So yeah, I don't know that it's like maybe creating like more protections in some way of like making sure that the people that are more naturally in that weight range are like monitored but it still would mean that people that want to compete which are the people that seem to be using these tactics more right because they need they're like a little bit higher and they need to be brought down like those seem to be the people that need attention right not the people that are naturally lightweight so these things would just exclude them which i think would catalyze into like trying to find ways to trick it or that you just get to like you have to sit out on the whole sport yeah like there would be false positives and i think I think something you and I like sort of like philosophically get at a lot too is generally we're more about like adding support and resources and like just supportive infrastructure in general on the front end rather than like doubling up on restrictions on the back end. Yeah. Like we talk about how penalizing or or like criminalizing sex work isn't going to make people stop going into sex work. It's just going to cause more problems. And I think it's similar for like making people like not allowed to be underweight isn't necessarily going to get rid of people performing unhealthy behaviors. You're Um, having a symptomatic approach. And so this issue pops up. Okay, well, then we'll just not let people be underweight or something or or, I don't know. Yeah, Um, but I guess um, so this one like BBC documentary I watched uh, was talking about this like Norway's solution hmm. and they asked the English Institute of Sport if they would ever implement something similar to the Norwegian health certificate program and the English Institute of Sport was like no no our approach of working with an athlete on the more individual basis is a much better way of providing support and as far as we're aware only one percent of people who have been like referred to medics had an eating disorder so like no and it's like that's so willfully 
in denial to just be like, no, like we don't have an eating disorder problem and like all of our athletes are healthy. So no, we're not going to do, we're not going to take action. Just like sick, dude. First of all, it's like 1% too many to begin with. But also if the only measure of you have an eating disorder is, do we need to call a medic? Like clearly these women that are on the rowing team and they're doing these things that to me feel like you would have to call a doctor because you're going to pass out. If they don't pass out, you don't have an eating disorder. Like, right, or Gretchen, they, who doesn't have an eating disorder, like, oh, so that's fine. Like, we're going to sanction yeah. that. No big deal. That gets the EIS stamp of approval because, well, she doesn't have a clinical eating disorder. Yeah. She's just, like, doing this to make way. Uh, it's still horrible. Yeah. So yeah. just, like, she has okay, a disordered they're... eating. It's like, okay, <laughs> thank you. All right. The fucking wordplay. It, like, drives me nuts. But <clears throat> that BBC, like, video or BBC documentary also talked to this guy named Ed Warner, who was the former chair of UK Athletics from 2007 to 2017. And I don't know. He talks about, like, there is a huge amount of funding going into sports in Britain. And he was like, can confirm that only a small fraction has to do with ensuring the health of the athletes. Yeah. Which is just like, then what's the fucking point? Like, athletes' health is their product. Yeah. They that should be like priority number one. Why is it such a small fraction of the funding we're devoting to these programs? Well, because the athletes make money for the schools. So even though I would argue the healthier the athlete, the better they're going to perform, the more money you're going to (laughs) make. It seems like all of our values are aligned. Yeah. Everybody wins. Right. But I think that clearly it's getting done. The ends justify the means, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But if you could shift it to thinking like, Everybody will profit more, most likely, I would guess. If if everyone was healthy, then they could just kick mm-hmm. ass all the time instead of, like, being depleted. Yes, and you would have a better retention rate and you wouldn't have to keep, like, recruiting randos. Like, yeah. there's this one, I think, like, UNC just, like, sends every freshman girl an email that's like, hey, have you considered rowing? <laughs> and it's like, you wouldn't have to do that if you had, like, retention rates and could protect the people that walked on to start you know yeah, totally Ugh. but in this bbc documentary i there are just a few more institutions we'll talk about before we wrap up and in this documentary they were also talking about british rowing so rachel morris is this paralympic rower and she has struggled with disordered eating and she basically was like very concerned about herself and her mental health and physical health with her relationship with food and went to the rowing program staff and was basically like totally rebuffed when she reached out for help. I guess she was called a nutter and was told she was the weakest link. A nutter? I, I guess that means like you're crazy in British. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know they kept being like, they called you a nutter. <laughs> and I was like, what? What is it? What are we talking about? <laughs> Doesn't sound nice. Yeah. But she so she in in retelling this story is also talking about just again as we've said tens of times now in this episode the institutionalized willful ignorance she's like literally part of the hotel booking for regattas and away races is getting a hotel room where you crank up the heat put an erg or an indoor rowing machine inside of it and put on what she calls a bin liner but it's a trash bag Mm -hmm. and just row in this like boiling hot hotel room to sweat it out. That's part of their hotel booking. So it's like, obviously they fucking know about it. And British rowing after this documentary came out was like, no, like that's not fucking true. Like no one on our team has an eating disorder. Literally. They're like, none of our senior squad members have an eating disorder. Like Rachel is making this shit up, but she's like, it's part of our 
hotel booking. Like coaches always know what's going they on. They have a dehydration problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like no wonder Gretchen didn't want to work out after. Like if that was my exercise routine, I would never ever want to work out again. No, because like it, it really like, yes, some workouts are like hard. And then maybe you have a sense of accomplishment after the fact, but like it really shouldn't be like dangerously miserable. Like that's just, that's not fun. And no one's going to have a healthy relationship with working out if that's what it is. And if you have to row through stress fractures, like, oh my God. The last institution we'll sort of talk about is U.S. rowing. So I told you that Gretchen, when she was weighing in in high school, like she was above the lightweight limit at 138 her first time, but then she got under whatever, whatever. But the point of that is they were weighing in for lightweight rowing and competing at like a U.S. rowing sanctioned lightweight race and regattas all the time. Now, U.S. rowing, I think like a few months ago, got rid of lightweight weigh-ins at the youth level. Well, got rid of is a strong word. They're no longer offering them at their U.S. rowing run regattas, but they continue to sanction regattas run by like the IRA and other organizations that do have lightweight categories. But Theoretically, Mm. this is like a change where they're no longer at their own regattas will have lightweight categories for youth teams. Mm. But this is part of their statement. So after careful consideration, U.S. Rowing has decided to no longer offer youth lightweight events at U.S. Rowing run regattas, including the U.S. Rowing Youth National Championships and U.S. Rowing's Youth Regional Championships. In addition, U.S. Rowing will no longer require coxswains to weigh in at these events and carry supplemental weight eliminating athlete scales from u.s rowing hosted youth regattas mm. let's take a pause i don't know if you captured that coxswains are also weighing in yeah but there was also a weight minimum so coxswains who were too small were having to carry dead weight in the boat with them <laughs> <laughs> so they're what? like we're eliminating that like no more coxswains have to be weighing in and like lugging around to dead weight and like sandbags and shit oh my god at least they weren't forced to gain weight at least one person oh, didn't God. have to manipulate their actual body. They could just hold something. I know. <laughs> I know. Like one small percentage of the program is like, I'll yeah. just carry a sandbag. Don't mind me. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, we will continue with a statement from U.S. Rowing. So while we understand this may be disappointing to some, the health and well-being of our youth athletes is our primary concern. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> As we thoroughly consider the subject, the health risks of managing weight for developing adolescents is a dangerous practice and we cannot support. Most international rowing federations, including World Rowing, do not offer youth lightweight events at their championships. Beginning in 2022, this will be U.S. Rowing's policy as well. But there are also some FAQs. Like, is U.S. rowing banning youth lightweight rowing? And they're like, no, 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 no. We'll continue to sanction youth lightweight events for regatta organizers who choose to include it. We're just, we're not going to host those events. But it's like, okay, so you're still, like, kind of funding it. Is that what sanction means? (laughs) Like, I'm so confused. (laughs) And then... Is U.S. rowing eliminating all lightweight rowing opportunities? No, this is intended for youth events only. So they're continuing to offer lightweight racing and coxswain weigh-ins at events for non-youth rowers, but just not for the youth rowers. Yeah. Hmm. But like nothing's changed. Yeah. At the institutional level, like there really is no discussion that I've heard of about A, changing the weight caps or B, creating more weight caps or considering other kind of caps to still give smaller, shorter people the opportunity to row without forcing people on the cusp to just like cut 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 weight yeah everything i just shared about english institute of sport and british rowing and norway and u.s rowing like these are really the only conversations being had is like either we'll look out for eating disorders and if we see one we'll 
do something about it or we don't have eating disorders or we'll stop weighing the youth throwers. But there's no institutional conversation I have found that is like more of a serious overhaul, if that makes sense. Mm. A whole other episode, again, could be about like abuse and exploitation of athletes in general, but that is out of scope for today. I just think, I don't know, it's 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 really hard because I know there are some lightweight rowers who feel seen and excited that they have this opportunity. Yeah. And like hypothetically, you do want to make it available to a wider range of people. On both ends. Yeah. But like the effect is just that people who aren't built for the cutoff are forced to enact really, really unsafe behaviors. And it just, uh, uh, unsafe and unhealthy, like aggressively dehydrating yourself and eating a fuck ton of donuts. And it's just like... Who is this helping, really? Like, is this doing more good than it is harm? Mm, I wonder what the impact would be to, like, raise the cap, like, 20 pounds. Would that really impact the lighter people? Would that make them, like, a lot less competitive on the lightweight teams? I mean, I'm sure someone could perform some kind of, like, data wizardry. But I just, I really, like, I feel so unproductively at a loss as to, like, what is next. And, like, what what would what would move the needle i don't know uh it's just so fascinating that like i've never really thought about rowing and as you were speaking i was like wow anything that you learn about you just like scratch a little and you realize everything is fucked all things it's rarely that you're like i'm gonna look into this thing and you find out it's this beautiful magical all the policies make sense (laughs) everyone's taking care of you're like hold on a second they're doing what i know and i was so excited too to learn about like norway's solution and the health certificate system and then i was like oh this is like not as magical as i wanted it to be you know i was like oh great especially when norway shows up you're like did you figure it out like everything else (laughs) please like tell us what to do but yeah i mean that's that's sort of my takeaway is just like I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just so thirsty and hungry. Yeah. That's all I feel right now. (laughs) I same. I'm I'm going to go head out. I'm going to go chug a gallon of water and like really enjoy some chicken nuggets. But I'll see you soon. (laughs) Bye. Culture Colander is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn.